It was 8.51 in the morning on MLK Memorial Day when I embarked on the most momentous, transformative experience presently recorded in my life with my companion and comrade, Corey. I can only think to describe it as a descent into another realm, far from anything remotely ascribed to reality. A single square of white paper, not even the size of my pinky finger, entered my mouth. Devoid of taste, devoid of anything, it sat penetrating the membranes of my salivation receptacle. Reality at the time was simple. A piece of paper was sitting in my mouth, concealed by my tongue. I was soon to leave that reality. Fifteen minutes later, the square was swallowed. I felt a subtle difference in my disposition, but I took no note of the avalanche awaiting in the hours to come. While watching TV, the first thing discernible to my departure from reality was a sense of exuberance and jolly, and an awareness that what I was watching seemed to be unusual, and not quite what I'd known it to be. Soon after, I began a fit of uncontrollable laughter, a giddy sensation not quite what I had experienced previously on substances I had used. I knew that I was not in Kansas anymore, but not quite in Oz either. In fact, I began to not know where I was at all. Colors began to pop and experience some sort of mystic effect. I noticed that my brain began to deconstruct things. When I tried asking for the computer mouse, what departed my lips instead was, hand me the device that you click on the computer. I could not utter the object's name. I knew it, it was there, but I could not vocalize or place a conscious thought on it. The light in my room began to permeate brighter than ever before, and things started to move. The TV became even more foreign, looking like some sort of alien encounter rather than a reality show what was currently playing at the time, RuPaul's Drag Race. My comrade remarked that it looked like a UN meeting of planets if planets could do such things. An hour in, reality was fast escaping my grasp, but not for lack of effort. I tried to comprehend what this was, what I had planned for. I tried in vain to concentrate, and focus on what was happening. I was in a jovial euphoria, a euphoria incomprehensible to man in its present state. My comrade and I decided to venture outside. It was hard to make it out of my house as it had turned into a labyrinth of perplexity. Every corner unveiled something new that we wished to reflect on. It felt as though the high was layered, and every minute or every half minute was a different high, erasing the train of thoughts that had occurred in the previous high. This caused a great deal of distraction. One such distraction of great interest 
was the incessant racket of my dogs housed in my mother's room. Feeling a necessity to check on them, I opened the door to let them out. Their barking pierced the air around me, causing the most unbearable sensation of a headache. One of my dogs, Sam as he was called, was of enormous size, a hefty golden Labrador retriever. It's hard for me to put into words the comedy that we felt as this gargantuan, bear-like dog came tumbling down the hallway, our senses amplified by the powerful serotonin stimulation of our brains. And all of a sudden, my comrade burst out her best attempt at his name. Big Chulungalungus. We burst out into a fit of laughter and smothered the poor creature with our infatuation. I retired him and the others back to my mother's residence, and we proceeded to make our journey to the outdoors. We did, by some happenstance, manage to make it to the basement and out of the door. It was 30 degrees Fahrenheit that day, but when we entered the outdoor realm, we did not feel cold. Barely protected by fleece jackets, intended of course for weather that consisted of moderate temperatures and chill breezes, we felt not the cold, but almost a tropical environment. I collapsed to the ground, feeling the earth hug and speak to me. It was the most wonderful sensation in the world. I felt enamored by everything. We had the soundtrack of the musical Hair playing, and never before had music sounded so rich, so alive, so filled with clarity. The lyrics, once silly or abstract to me, made perfect sense. I switched the track to the Beatles, more specifically, Penny Lane. We skipped around and walked some, entranced by joy and the beauty of nature. My comrade expressed her desire to want to smoke, and I mentioned I possessed cigarettes. Instantaneously, that became the best thing ever on our minds, and we decided it would be a great idea to have a puff. Once again, the arduous task of transport was undertaken, and eventually we made it to my room, where I proceeded to get two cigarettes. Tumultuously, we glided through my house and onto my back porch. It seemed no matter where we went, our bodies adjusted to the environment, making the inside cooler and the outside warmer. Homeostasis had never been so literal and gratifying. We lit up our cigarettes with a torch lighter and it was glorious, just glorious. Every puff, our bodies sang like instruments. We looked outward into the trees, and we put on the musical stylings of Mac DeMarco, being instantly transported into his world. His music coming to life in the trees and the sky, the beauty of nature more amplified. And what we discovered that day was that drugs had little to no effect on us. We did pot and tobacco and nicotine and felt virtually nothing. We simply did it to do it, and it was unexplainably enjoyable. We went back to my color bomb of a room, and it was even more unusual and incredible. The TV became one of our indicators of how high we actually were. Once again, we looked on to RuPaul's Drag Race and we instantly were captivated by the ever more growing peculiarity and intricacy of the scenes we were experiencing. After some time, and surely a lapse of memory, we decided that we would go for a walk, I think. 
I grabbed some cigarettes and the keys to my car, where my zipper resided, and we hopped through the house and out the front door, our focus and distraction being a great hindrance to our goals. Another hilarious event transpired, one that may not seem as funny without the sheen of reality removed, but most assuredly it was an epitomal moment of comedy under our delusions. Somehow we managed to be fully seated in my car, my comrade in the passenger seat, keys in hand, and no recollection of how we got there, or why we were there. <laughs> we looked at each other and burst out laughing. After a moment of confusion, we reminded ourselves of our intentions and grabbed the lighter. We then proceeded to exit the vehicle. Either scratching the idea of a walk or simply forgetting, we went back to my backyard and lit up, once again enjoying the sweet sensation of smoke filling our lungs. Sitting on a swing in the backyard, my comrade expressed, much to my agreement and previous explanation, the amazing sensation of smoking and her sudden desire for a marijuana cigarette. To which I replied, I have the stuff upstairs. You do? She replied. Of course. So, once again, we trekked back into my house, elated by our newfound discovery. It took over 20 minutes for us to roll two joints. A simple action that under normal circumstances would take me at most a minute, if not less, took me 20. What lunacy is that? Well, that was a side effect of stepping out of reality. In 20 minutes, we did much more than roll a joint. We underwent intense reflection. We went through a day's worth of thought, a day's worth of work. Infused into that joint was a deep level of self-awareness and the cathartic process of allowing your thoughts to pour out of your mouth and into the ears of someone who actually is attentive, someone who is vividly following your train of thought. Eventually, we returned to my back porch, and we lit up a sweet mango kush cigarette. The taste was exquisite. It was as if we were smoking some sort of tropical paradise. Something that in reality should give us a heavily stone effect. Felt like nothing. Nothing! When you are so high that those lower highs are not even relevant. That should be the next Jeopardy prompt. Mac DeMarco and nature became our gods and I was ready to worship them. I then heard through the walls my dogs barking, a barking associated with the presence of someone being home. Paranoia and fear shot through my veins for the briefest of seconds, a concise jolt of reality. Knowing the possibility of my father's return, I looked to my comrade explaining the potential of what could transpire. We both pretended that we had what it took to appear normal, a lie that we desperately held on to. I ran through the house into the front door, piercing out of the window to see if this doom might be confirmed. But alas, it was not so. Instead, what prevailed was the arrival of Jesus Christ. This glorious man stood before me in my doorway. Light illuminated his face as his long brown hair blew in the wind. My brain, in all its irrational wisdom, concluded that I was looking at an angel, and more specifically, the angel Jesus Christ. I burst out into yet another fit of laughter, my comrade the first to realize that, in actuality, this was our mutual acquaintance and friend Carson. We had asked him several days prior to this engagement to visit us and to assure that we were safe and in good order. 
The words that escaped his mouth at the sight of us madly laughing in my foyer was, Wow. For the next few minutes, or however long it was, we blathered on about his Jesus-like qualities, all we had experienced thus far, and our love towards him. That was another side effect. Our over-infatuation with people, with objects, with animals, and with nature. Carson helped me take out our furry companions for their much-needed alleviation. Big Chilungalungus and company filed out of the door, barking at both Comrade Corey and Jesus Christ. They did not like when strangers entered the confines of their property. I stood in the middle of my yard, high as a kite, and I'm sure a sight to behold for any onlooking neighbors that happen to be outside at the moment. Sam, a.k.a. Chilungalungus, went right under Carson's legs and plopped his happy rear down on the ground. A very awkward position for Carson. After this excursion, we returned the beasts to their cave and headed to my room. Remembering that I had rolled two joints, and then remembering I had indeed intended the second one for this encounter, I offered our Jesus the opportunity to partake in the consumption of marijuana with Comrade Corey and myself. He in his usual timid nature, agreed. This was to my delight, and, for what seemed like the thousandth time, we headed outside. Why don't we go to your usual spot to smoke? Carson suggested. I proceeded to think that it was a good idea. Mind you, this usual spot was a five to ten minute journey into the heart of the acres of forest behind my house. While many times throughout our journey were filled with confusion about where I was and what I was doing, I'd been on that route thousands of times, and it came to me like a bird going home after a long winter. It was innate to my existence at that moment, and I steadily led us to the circular clearing I had used as a smoking spot many times. The trees were loud. It sounded as if, in fact, I still believe that the trees were talking. I could hear their energies. I could hear the wind rustle their leaves. I could feel them vibrate and oscillate as they moved through my body. And when we made it to the clearing, I felt as though my body was being vomited out of the forest and I was sent to another level of happiness, or rather, a different level. That relates back to our previous feelings of content with wherever we ended up. Everything was beautiful and different in its own right, and we desired to be in every location at the same time. I rolled on to the ground before coming to a point of rest, just laying down in the dirt and leaves. It was exhausting to navigate myself through the forest. We ignited the joint and began passing it around, teaching the cannabis newbie, Carson, how to properly smoke marijuana. I kept forgetting that he was not having the same high I was. He merely was feeling dopamine throughout his body and the stimulation of his cannabinoid receptors. I was experiencing an entirely different stimulation, a stimulation that ascended beyond the cosmos and into the core of philosophical creation. Our Jesus was significantly more swift in his transportation, and while I was traveling with Comrade Corey, he was at the top of the bank of my woods that spilled into the backyard. The scene of him at the top of a seemingly mountain, hair in the wind and face radiating, once again solidified my belief in his sanctimony in his divine being. My comrade was in her own world, staring at a tree and jamming out to good old Mackie. We eventually made our ascent, which 
was actually quite difficult as it began to turn into a snow mountain and our feet became weighed down by that snow. When I finally made it out, once again, the transition of loud, vibrant trees into quiet stillness was a sensory overload. My body felt as though it was experiencing a constant orgasm throughout every morsel of my being. It just kept getting more and more intense. Whenever I laid down, my legs would twitch as I felt such things, and my eyes would sometimes roll to the back of my eyelids. Insanity. Incredible. Immenseful. It was something else, to say the least. We retired ourselves to my room for a while. Our now stoned Jesus Christ consumed our snacks while I laid stupidly on the floor in the corner of my room, and my comrade stared out of a window whilst in my chair. What a sight onlookers would have if they were to stand in my doorway. We remained in the state for what seemed like ages. I became one with the floor. Hunger was a concept foreign to my conventional understanding of desire. To the contrary, our Jesus was acutely familiar with the feeling of hunger as he laid there munching away on all my snacks. Despite not being hungry, my comrade Corey and I endeavored to explore the world of fine culinary arts. We brilliantly hatched the idea to make macaroni and cheese. We gathered Carson and once again embarked on a journey down the stairs. This time the objective was simple, or so we thought. Going to a new place for me was always intense, like going from inside to outside, going from the woods to the clearing, etc. After I make it to my final destination, I need a minute to recuperate. As I threw myself onto the couch in the adjoining living room, Corey started preparations for cooking. I eventually made my way over to her, and that's when I made the discovery that cooking was not going to be as straightforward as we thought. Corey had filled the pot up with water, and before she even lit the stove, she had gone and put the butter into the water. What lunacy! A whole stick! Butter is not an ingredient that enters the precipices of a pot until the pasta is drained and has re-established a connection with the cooking apparatus. I swiftly reached my fingers around that slimy stick and removed it. As we three began arguing over the order in which ingredients were used, I was talking, as usual, with my hands. Unusual, maybe, would be the fact that I was waving around a stick of butter in the process. It was slowly starting to melt. Uh, okay, Drew, maybe we should put the butter on a paper towel. Carson chimed from out of the haze my mind had blanked on. I suddenly realized the implications of what I was doing, and I began to slowly verbalize as Carson eased the butter out of my hand, his hand on my shoulder, and then proceeded to place the butter on a paper towel. As Corey came to our senses and remembered how to make the cheesy pasta, I began to leave my senses, floating up into another period of confusion. Maybe you ought to sit down, Drew. It's okay, I got it, Corey noted. My drunken self agreed, and I trotted along back to the sofa. We went through this process several times, where I would find myself in a moment of clarity and Corey would forget what she was doing, or even how she was going to do it, or I would find myself lost and she would be as present as a cat. We would just trade off places, and more times than not, my comrade being the one in charge of cooking. Eventually, after what seemed like a millennia later, a bowl of golden glory was placed before me. 
A reception soon commenced between my mouth and the particulars of the bowl. For me, it was a letdown. The flavors were more of the same as everything I had eaten that day. Base with a sour punch. Nothing excited me. Nothing exploded on my taste buds like a symphony. From that point, Big Mouth somehow began to play on the television, and I was utterly slipping out of reality, absent-mindedly roaming the house, tidying things and whatnot. Uh, there was a moment when I was sitting on the couch. What's going on? Jesus and Comrade Andrew Corey to my right, and a very candid just, conversation was occurring between a character on the yeah, show and his parents. Well, your parents, you can tell us anything. Okay. Last night when he was changing, I, I saw Andrew's penis. And now you're worried you're homosexual? Mickey, a man can touch another penis or even kiss one very lightly, and it still doesn't necessarily mean he's a homosexual. You know, when I was an undergraduate, your mother knows the story. Dad, I'm not worried I'm gay. Honey, it's fine if you are. It's better. And by the way, you could do a lot worse than Andrew Glauberman. It's not that. It's Andrew's... Andrew's was... Was... Was different? Like, bigger and hairier. Sweetheart, Andrew started to become a man. That's right. He's developed secondary sex characteristics. Yeah. Thicker eyebrows. Mm -hmm. Gorge nipples. Gorge nipples. Mom! His penis is changing. From a boy penis to a man's penis. Mom. And you may, like me, never have a very big penis. But if you understand a woman's body, and more importantly, her emotions, it doesn't matter. It's I was dumbfounded. Before I met your father, I was with some men who were very well endowed. This is an honestly, awkward conversation between two much. parents and okay. a child. Your father's penis is my glass slipper. And you're my Cinderella. Oh. Guys, please stop. Give me a break. I'm sure Andrew and his parents have had very similar conversations. Uh, Everyone laughed. In my present that. state, I could not pick up on the comedy as my brain was trying to bring some reality back to me, failing miserably. It is sufficient to say that watching a comedic animation was not where my trip wanted to go to. After a while, Jesus finally had to leave, and so he ascended back up into heaven to wait for the second coming. My comrade and I retired back to my room, now tidied, and simply sat and stared. Earlier, at one point, we had been painting, and so I resumed working on my picture as she stared off into the window. The mood was sedation, and I was feeling it. I was in a pure state of ecstasy, unbridled by any thoughts of delusion. Reality was slowly seeping back into my life, like a gallon jug being filled by sap dripping from a tree. We stayed like this for the remainder of our time together. As Corey, my comrade, pulled away, I felt a tugging on the tether between us. Just the same with Jesus, I could feel vibrantly other people's energies and the absence thereof. She was gone, and I was sitting on my porch, soaking in the sun's illuminate and replenishing rays of gold and yellow and orange. By five o'clock, people began returning from their day affairs, and I was increasingly becoming irritated. My room, which already served as a very safe space, was so comfortable. I bathed myself with a suspended spigot that hung off my bathroom wall. 
As the drops of water cascaded down my body, I felt renewed. I felt the energy and warmth of the water, the hydrogen and oxygen molecules singing as they penetrated my skin and built up into larger droplets. It was such an exciting feeling. I sat there for a long time, imagining the water's rain. It was rain. It was a rainforest. I eventually brought my hand to the knob and shut off the rain. I stepped out into the poorly lit cubicle that was my bathroom. I dried myself off, finding comfort in the cotton towel as it hugged me. Life was good. The last activity of the day consisted of me lying in bed, texting everyone how much I loved them, and watching adult swims off the air. It was so unusual. It was one of the only things I could stomach to watch, as the compilations of surreal images formed a clear episode in my mind. Something that in reality makes no sense, made perfect sense in this world. There would be some short opener, and then the single word or two word concept would flash on the screen. Liquid, winter, drugs, dance, shapes. So simple, yet so elaborate. The TV screen was basically in 3D. Whatever I did, the show did as well. At one point I turned my light on and the screen changed to a pause message. As soon as I turned the lights off, the episode continued. I was struck with amazement and surprise. I watched this for the remainder of my night, four or five hours in total. Reality never came back that day. It tried to, but even at 11 o'clock, when I finally drifted away into sleep, I was still in another world. No dreams played in my head. It was as if the whole day had been the dream. I was knocked out until the following morning. Upon awakening from my dead slumber, the previous day seemed to have never happened. The feeling, that indescribable feeling, was no longer there. It was in some ways depressing, but at the same time, I was very happy. Reality had finally re-entered. Tangerine trees and marmalade skies Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly A girl with kaleidoscope Newspaper taxis, the 
off on a train in a station with plasticine pauses with looking glass ties. Suddenly, someone. 